Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Chris Steele. He's a senior director of artificial intelligence and machine learning at IQVIA. His passion is providing technology, vision, and strategy to the business and leveraging AI machine learning, big data, cloud virtualization, and DevOps to quickly and effectively implement solutions that deliver business value. We're in the days of value for service, although a lot of things are still fee for service value for value fee for value is something that a lot of providers are are focused on and even companies and bringing these insights and value is what Chris does best he's recognized for bringing insight enthusiasm and quantifiable results to business opportunities with a make it happen attitude to transform and scale organizations in his past life he's he's done roles such as running his own consulting firm he was the ceo and founder there at fort moon consulting co-author of Core Security Patterns in 2005, and uh, little known, but he was actually the chief architect of pay.gov. So definitely a dynamic leader in our space and uh, really, really excited to, to jump into his experience, perspectives, and, and the work that he's currently doing at IQVIA. So Chris, without further ado, just want to give you a warm welcome, my friend. Thank you, Saul. I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, excited that you're here. So did I miss anything in the intro that you want to share with the listeners? No, I think that covered it pretty well. Good, good. Well, you know, obviously, as well as you could summarize your your deep experience and career, a couple, you know, bullet points that we had there. But, you know, I'm curious, what is it that got you into the medical sector? That's an interesting question. Um, as you noted in my background, I've had a, a wide uh, variety of jobs in different sectors. About five years ago, I was lucky enough to work with a company that Software AG had acquired that was building out a machine learning platform. I got to know the, the leads there very well and really got me reinterested in AI and machine learning. I, I looked at it back in the 90s, really hadn't been able to do much with it back then, but saw how much it's come along and really got learning it. Took a bunch of online courses that were recommended to me, did a lot of reading and been playing around, and was interested to start to put my skills to use. And when you look at machine learning and artificial intelligence, there's just so much opportunity there. And I wanted to do something meaningful with that. I think um, five years ago, a lot of it was being done in retail, uh, advertising. You think of some of the big tech giants, uh, how they really got the efforts launched, the big Netflix challenge on Kaggle, et cetera. But I wanted to do something a little bit more profound with it, something that would impact people's lives. And uh, coincidentally, it happened that a friend of mine that I'd worked with a couple times before in my past had ended up at IQVIA. He had saw the updates on my LinkedIn page and reached out to me. So it was good timing all around. Well, that's uh, awesome how how it worked out. You went for the for the meaningful route, and and here you are. Uh, and it's amazing how how fast time flies. But you've been in the in the in the business for a bit now. 
what would you say is a hot topic that needs to be on health leaders' agendas today? And how are you and, and the folks over there approaching it? Yeah, I guess uh, it's no surprise that I believe artificial intelligence and machine learning are the big hot topics in the medical field today. If you talk to, to anybody, they're either working on it, looking at it, or worried about it. And at Acubia, we've actually been doing it for quite some time now. So I think uh, we've only, as an industry, started to scratch the surface in what can be done there and how it can be done. I think one of the things that a lot of people are struggling with is how to bring value using AI and machine learning. There's a ton of things that can be done, but how do we use it to really increase our value? And at IQVIA, what we're doing is we're making sure that before we jump into a lot of these different endeavors, that we have proper business cases. In other words, what are the results for patients, for our clients? What kind of value are we bringing to the table through AI and machine learning? Because we know there's a lot we can do, but we have limited resources. So we want to spend those resources the most efficient way possible. And that's in in taking a step back and understanding where the big bang is today. What can the algorithms achieve realistically? We don't want to be pioneering too much into new areas where we don't see value. So I think that's a a very big topic and a, a lot of different healthcare providers are looking at. Yeah, you know, Chris, love that you went there because value and and value creation is definitely forefront on the minds of a lot of health leaders today. And and AI is one of those pathways that that, that people are taking to, to get there. Give us an example of what you guys have done and what value you've created through the use of AI to add value. So when I first joined, we had, there had been a slide that was put together that showed that we had around 30-some different AI ML-related projects around the company. Um, my first task was to go out and do a thorough inventory. So back uh, about six months after I joined, I completed that inventory, and it turned out that we had, at that point, 83 Odd AI ML related projects. In the meantime, we've we've now grown to to well over a hundred. So it's hard to really capture all of the different things we're doing. Um, yeah. it, it spans the gamut of early disease detection, Alzheimer's prediction, ton of stuff on the commercial side. So bringing value to our clients through things like uh, next best customer, looking at how do we make our data more efficient. So in the past, we spent a lot of time imputing the data. So when you have data sets with, with missing data or unclean data, we had statisticians going through and cleaning that up. We now are building machine learning models that can do that. We've done a lot of stuff um, in in terms of pioneering type work. We have a a researcher that had looked at using a generative adversarial network again to take for rare disease detection. We, one of the major issues is there's not a lot of data. So he built this, this GAN to go in, look and create these synthetic data sets that allow you to run machine learning models on it to do the the prediction. So building up the actual training sets using 
artificial machine learning in the first place. So a lot of really good stuff going on. Yeah, for sure. A lot of projects. And, and so you guys focus on data science and sort of hone in on human science. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that distinction and, and help the listeners understand sort of the, the, the vision there that you guys have? Yeah, absolutely. Human data science, that is our tagline. And I think the distinction is, is that it is, it's, it's patient, it's client focused, it's putting humans in the loop as, as the recipients of this. So I think in a lot of organizations, you, you have researchers that are, are somewhat displaced and a lot of what they're doing, they can't directly translate back into the impact on humans. But human data science is really starting from the beginning with understanding how we're going to impact people, how we're going to improve outcomes, and using that as the focus of our efforts so that we don't end up um, running down a lot of rat holes that don't lead to, to something significant that's going to benefit people, that we, we spend the due diligence to, as I said before, analyze the business case and make sure that, that what we're doing does have a positive impact. I think that's a great call, you know, and I love that you guys lead with the human because data science alone, without the deep knowledge of, of domain expertise, really won't yield much value. So I think it's awesome that you guys are, your core is focused on that. So as you guys have added value, you work with providers, payers, uh, life sciences, really all of the stakeholders in healthcare. So I find it fascinating that a lot of these folks are, are taking advantage of the platform and the things that you guys offer. But as you guys have evolved, what's been something that has been a setback that uh, has created some major learnings and made you guys better? Ah, great question. I think it's important to start with the fact that over the past several years, we've really done a good job of adopting the lean methodology. So if you're not familiar with Lean, very uh, similar to Agile, but really embrace the fail-fast notion. So rather than um, attempt large projects and, and go full in to, to start small, really concentrate on MVP, minimum viable product. Flesh out the riskiest areas first. So the biggest unknowns, attack those and be ready to fail. Be ready to say, okay, we're, we're not ready to undertake this yet. The technology's not there or the expertise is not there. So quite often we, we do fail, but we, we fail in this, in this manageable way that doesn't impact our clients or our external customers. Now, with that said, in terms of, of failures, I've, I've seen my own, obviously. Um, one of those was uh, a recent prototype that I've been working with on our, with our HR department. So okay. HR had come to me and they had really, they've been sort of um, stagnant for the past five years in terms of, of their analytics and how to how to be able to recognize and preempt attrition, et cetera. So they were wondering if AI and ML could play a part in that. And uh, I got involved and we wanted to 
I wanted to get something done quickly for them. And so I went out and I, I talked with our different uh, data engineers, uh, tried to understand, you know, what type of HR related data we had out there and then pull that in to see, you know, what kind of uh, analysis we could do. Unfortunately, a lot of that data, of course, is, is privacy related. So we had the option, we could uh, work with our privacy analytics team and get all of that de-identified, et cetera. But I made the decision to just sort of move forward without any of that type of data. And really what happened was because we, we chose to ignore that particular type of data, we ended up with a very uh, slim data set uh, with not a lot of different features to go off. So even though I, I built uh, several different models. We had played around with that a lot. We just, we, we weren't getting predictions that were, were really uh, worthwhile or usable. And uh, so that was a failure there. But it's okay because that was a, a quick, non-billable type project. Uh, yeah. The lesson learned is you can't, you're not going to be able to build relevant models without the right data. And right. now we know that, now we realize that, and they're going back and they're assessing what we want to do from here. Do we want to uh, commit to actually building this out? They now understand the process better. They understand what's required of the data that they'd be providing to really give, um, to really um, leverage a good model. So I think in that regard, it was a, a really good experience. But the lesson learned for me is you can't skip on the data. Without the right amount of data and the right quality of data, you're not going to be able to build worthwhile models. Yeah, I think that's a great call out, Chris. And uh, thank you for sharing that. So, you know, it, it makes me wonder, and something to note for everybody listening, when you think about the promise of, of AI and you know, machine learning, to your business, to your patients, you know, there's, there's really the, the exterior factors, delivering service, delivering care. And then there's the internal factors, like the example that Chris just mentioned and improving your own processes and way of doing business. What percentage of the work that you guys do, Chris, is care and, and, and service oriented versus back of the house types of process improvement? Well, I think that's a really difficult question. iCubia, as you know, is a, a $10 billion company. We yeah. have a lot of different silos. I haven't began to scratch the surface of all the different groups out there. I think ideally, the mix would, would probably be somewhere around 70-30. So I, I think uh -huh. that we want to improve you know, that, that operational ratio. Yes. Um, we're, we're always looking to reduce the OPEX, et cetera. And we've made significant investments over the, the past couple of years to really build up internally. First of all, we, we have one of the largest data lakes in the world today. And right? yeah, so we, we, I think we're top three and that's, that includes all different industries. So that's, that's going up wow. against Google and everyone. And uh, yeah, it is. But if you think about how long we've been collecting and selling data and, and really working with it, it makes, it makes perfect sense. So in the past, where the, a lot of that data has been siloed, we've now been spending the money to put together you know, this very large data lake that gives us access to all the different data in a structured way so that the right people with the right access are able to easily 
get access to that data. Yeah, that's interesting. And that's fine. You know, I know you guys are, are huge and, and I just didn't understand kind of the, the breakdown, but that gives gives us, I think, a, a good idea. So I appreciate that that side road uh, that we just took. But t- <laughs> tell us about one of your proudest moments, Chris, in healthcare. Uh, <laughs> probably my proudest moment was last summer. I was asked to bring on an intern and uh, at the last minute, it sort of ended up being two interns. And uh, I hadn't quite really thought about what it is I wanted to do with them. Mm-hmm. And so it was a busy time of the year. They sort of ended up on my doorstep uh, last uh, May. And uh, I needed to sort of quickly come up with a roadmap of, of what it was that we wanted to accomplish as a team, what they could do to increase their their personal growth, et cetera. So I had a little earlier in the year had started playing with this notion that maybe we could use one of these generative adversarial networks, those GANs that I'd mentioned before. Yes to actually create synthetic data sets out of structured data. So whereas at the time, uh, the vast majority of of people out there, the use was all around uh, creating images, right? Mm -hmm. Teaching the the AI to to paint pictures and do things with, with images. And I had this idea that, hey, if it can learn to understand the relationships and images, why couldn't it do the same for structured data? So if you take an example, like a diabetes data set, you've got your blood pressure, your BMI, all these different things. If you believe that there's some underlying equation amongst those those features that tells us what the the outcome is, whether or not somebody has diabetes or not, then you have to think that maybe the machine can learn, can inherently learn that relationship. And if it can do that, then what it can do is it can create synthetic data, data that is statistically similar to your original data set, but different. So the generator, in this case, these GANs are built from, you know, there's two different models. One's a generator, and the other is a discriminator. And the generator, it never sees the original data. So it just starts throwing stuff out. The discriminator starts looking at it and trying to decide, is this real or fake? And they get in this battle until the generator learns to generate data to the degree that it fools the discriminator. So now that we have that ability, if we use that on structured data, we can create these synthetic data sets that don't have privacy concerns, right? They don't require imputation. They're clean to begin with. And also, to a degree, it gets you around uh, proprietary licensing issues. So if you think of all of our clients, all the data we have that's licensed, that's proprietary, that we're not allowed to sell externally, how much of that could we, could we use to create synthetic data sets that we could then turn around and use for other machine learning models? Now, obviously, that's, uh, that one piece is something that we've been struggling with legally. It, it goes beyond the legal boundaries into things like client relationships. We can't just go out and, and create a synthetic data set of a proprietary one and, and not, not tell our customers and not work with it because that would be unethical. But it does at least give us an avenue. And in a lot of cases, what we're finding 
people want us to do that. So ask anybody who does machine learning, who brings in vendors, et cetera, that want them to do prototypes. One of the hardest things is, you know, these vendors are always asking for data. Hey, give us some of your real world data and we'll show you, you know, what we can do. Well, that's a very difficult proposition for a lot of companies, especially ours. The ability to create these synthetic data sets allows us to go and, and give vendors and the, the open source community, uh, different competitions, et cetera, give that data out there, which is a, a huge boon. So to get back to your original question, this was all sort of a concept in my head. I set these two interns down, gave them that task, and was surprised when they came back with a working prototype in nice. under a month. Wow, and that's pretty awesome. Yeah, from there we we were able to go on and work out a lot of the the kinks, uh, make it a lot more generic, uh, basically uh, more or less productionalize it, and ended up uh, uh, getting a patent on it, which huh. was just accepted recently. So uh, overall, yeah, it was it was a really proud moment. I was really really impressed with those guys. Uh, uh, the machine learning modeler was—he uh, had just completed his sophomore year at Duke, so he wow. was very young. And my my other intern was a statistician out of Purdue, but both of them were great. And and it was really, <laughs> it was really proud to be able to do something innovative that can really have business impact and get it done over the course of a summer with just two interns. That's awesome, and it's a testament to. Chris, that if you give people amazing things to do, they'll do amazing things. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. So really the, the promise of, of having a synthetic data set like this is that it's accessible and you get around the worries of licensing and things like that, right? So it makes it, makes it easier to innovate. Right. One of the keys to machine learning is having the relevant data. I think I've made that point a couple times already today. <laughs> but I'm, um, I'm, glad, but you're, really I'm glad you're hitting that cowbell, though, because it, it, it matters. It does. So having the ability to replicate and clean that data and then be able to provide it to the community as a whole to further research in healthcare, that's a big step because we we solidly believe that a lot of the next real breakthroughs are going to come from at-home data scientists, people playing around in, in Cato competitions, et cetera, yeah. that the work they do is going to be breakthrough that we're going to be able to utilize to uh, significantly improve health com- outcomes for everyone. Fascinating. Very cool. And for those of you that don't know Kaggle, Kaggle is um, it's a site and where the brains of, of AI and deep learning, machine learning go. And they just compete, right? And they write code and, and based off of the work that you've done and the quality you've delivered, you get stack ranked. Right, Chris? Yes, correct. It's fascinating. I, I learned about Kaggle uh, probably about five years ago. So if you're looking for the stars you know, these folks don't need a resume. Like oftentimes companies will go straight to Kaggle. Kaggle is the resume, right, Chris? That is the resume. I <laughs> I hate to say how many people are really top scientists that we've hired recently just based on, on their work in Kaggle alone. It is. You don't need a resume. It speaks to exactly how good you are, how motivated you are, 
and how focused on real world outcomes you are. It's impressive. It's so cool that you guys are, are doing that. And, and yeah, so folks, if you haven't learned about it, check it out. If you're looking for talent, this is how you get it. It's not going to be cheap <laughs> if they're high on the list. <laughs> FYI. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about an exciting project you're working on today. There's quite a, quite a few that are going on. I already mentioned some of the, the HR prototyping work that I'm doing. We continue to accelerate the, the synthetic data generation stuff. So we've been working on that. Across the company, there's just so much really good stuff going on. I find it hard to start. I guess maybe what I'll do is I'll sort of defer and talk about a side project that I've been working on at night, looking to to use that generative adversarial networks to create music. So I think if you've been out there, if you know what again is, you you know how how good it is at doing things with images, looking at using that for music. How can we take a playlist mm. and be able to train the model on that and get it to create music that fits that genre, that, that fits the particular band, et cetera. One of the things I think that's really interesting is in the next five years or so, look for, look for these synthetic bands coming out. So look huh. for... Say your your favorite rock artist that's that's now dead, a Buddy Holly or somebody. Look for new songs coming out that sound like him. It's his style. It's his voice. It's the same kind of music. Is that think, a thing? Um, that's, so synthetic bands are a thing. I wouldn't say they're a thing right now. I'd say they're becoming uh, some. At the uh, Nvidia conference wow. uh, a couple weeks ago. I was talking with uh, two guys that had done a lot. I'd listened to their their generated music. It was a punk band, but wow, I I couldn't tell the difference. I honestly, I wouldn't have been able to tell the real from the fake there. So I think uh, maybe it's not a thing today, but it will be soon. That is so fascinating, man. I did not even, synthetic bands, amazing. I mean, if you think about it though, if if you're able to, produce synthetic biology, synthetic data sets in your, in your case, why wouldn't you be able to create synthetic music? Right, right. right. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's synthetic videos out there. You can modify video in real time. You can automatically take people out of pictures and insert different people into them. In some regards, <laughs> so it, it's a bit scary. Because it, it is, you know, with this, the whole issue around fake news today, I know. it's really, it, it's going to become a problem in the near future. Wow. Something to think about. So getting close to the end here, Chris, this has been fun. Uh, I've got a lightning round for you. So I got a couple questions that I'll ask you lightning round style, and then we'll follow that by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Sure. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes with data? You need three things. You need to have the data itself, so large amounts of it. You need the domain expertise, so the people that understand the problem domain. You can't take generic data scientists and have them work on healthcare outcomes. And then you need the analytics and the platform itself. You need a platform that's going to be scale that provides you with the the bleeding edge um, technology you need to best analyze that data. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? 
I think if you ask uh, one of the large tech players in the company, they would probably tell you that the biggest mistake is to not have the domain expertise to try to solve healthcare outcomes without having the people that live and breathe that on a day-to-day basis. Love it. That data science without the appropriate human, right? Correct. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? I think there's a lot of different things you can do. First of all, you need to focus on emerging technologies. You need to stay ahead of the curve and understand what's happening, not just in our industry, but in all the other industries as well. Have people that are are dedicated to looking at those things and to be able to sort of separate the wheat from the chaff, know what to go after, and then spend money, spend research dollars to make sure that you're not going to get blindsided. So if you think about uh, quantum computing, nanotechnology, all these things that could revolutionize the healthcare space, you have to constantly keep an eye on that, but also not allow yourself to get sucked into betting on a lot of the big bangs and, and having them fail. You need to have good people that really can understand which of these technologies, which of these new developments is going to uh, work and, and which ones are years down the road still. As it relates to AI and healthcare, what's one area that drives your work? I wouldn't say there's one area. I would go back to what we talked about before, the, the human data science part and applying the AI and ML to real world problems, things that have tangible benefits for patients, for providers, for payers. So really, in my line of work, I I really focus on the business value that AI ML brings. These next two are a little more on a personal note, Chris. Number one is, what is your number one health habit? My number one health habit is trying to Stay active. I've got four kids, um, nice. two of which are still at home, and uh, I spend a lot of time coaching them in sports, et cetera, and staying active in the community. I had been jogging for a while, but it uh, ended up uh, breaking my leg oh. a year or two ago. So I've been off that and now just finding other ways to keep myself fit. Love it. And uh, what is your number one success habit? I think my number one success habit is really getting up early and preparing for the day. Mm. So being ready to having that sort of sweet time in the morning between 6.30, 7.30, where I'm really more focused on prioritizing what needs to happen during the day and preparing for the meetings, et cetera. I think it's very easy, uh, especially in this fast-paced world that we live in today, to get sort of caught up uh, in in reaction mode. And I found that to be successful, you really need to get out of that mode and prepare yourself to be able to prioritize and not to be afraid to uh, cancel or reschedule meetings because you don't feel that you're going to get the correct amount of benefit out of it just because of all the other things going on that day that are of higher priority. Great, great tip, Chris. And uh, what book would you recommend to the listeners? Uh, That's a really hard question. (laughs) I've read a lot between technical books, books for leisure. It's hard to say. I, I think I guess I'd have to go back to a book I read way back when I was barely a teenager called uh, Black Holes and Warped Space Time. Mm -hmm. It was by a guy named uh, William Kaufman III. Uh And uh, 
it really had an impact on me. It's why I became a, a physics major and have ever since really been interested in cosmology, um, astronomy, etc. Just fascinating work. Unfortunately, I never had the really um, high degree of, of math skills uh, that would enable me to go into that field to become a professional physicist, but I do to this day continue to read all the books and, and keep track of the research going on. Awesome. Very interesting. Uh, black holes, man. <laughs> you know, like, how do they work? Uh, that could be a whole different podcast. Um, no, I yeah. love it. Chris, this has been fun. Um, before we conclude, I'd love if you could just leave us with a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could learn more about you, your work, and uh, the things that you're up to. Yeah, I, I think, again, just to reiterate what I've been saying, I, I think that human data science is really the important thing here, to maintain focus on the outcomes, to understand the value that you're, you're bringing to others. If you use that as your main driver, it makes a lot of things easier and you become a lot more successful because you're focused on the task at hand and you understand exactly how it is the impact that it's going to have. And with that, like I said, you need three things. You, you need data, you need domain expertise, and you, you need the technology to be able to do that. So with that, I guess I don't have a, a whole lot more to add. If you want to find out more, uh, you can go to iqbia.com and the website has a lot of a lot of really good stuff under the about tab there's a whole whole section on human data science and the different people that are involved and some really good uh, use cases etc and it, of course you can always uh, email me at christopher.steel at iqvia.com and that is s-t-e-e-l We'll provide a link on the show notes so that you guys could learn more. Outcomesrocket.health. Type in IQVIA or type in Christopher Steele in the search bar. You'll see this interview. Chris, this has been a ton of fun, man. Thanks for uh, spending time with us. Great. Well, thanks for having me, Saul. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.